episode of the Virtual Couch Podcast. That is Cinco for my Spanish-speaking friends, Fünf for those in Germany, or Go for my Japanese listeners. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, an actual five-year student of German uh, back in high school and college, and creator of The Path Back, which is an online pornography addiction recovery program that promises to help you or somebody that you love reclaim or discover the life that they always dreamed of, and that is a life free from pornography, uh, a life that is much more fulfilling, satisfying, purpose-filled. And for more information on The Path Back, please visit pathbackrecovery.com. And as per usual, you can contact me using contact at pathbackrecovery.com. And I am coming to you today actually in the daytime, in the light. I normally get to my office extremely early and it's dark and so I never have my window open. So this is already kind of a unique situation because I actually have a, a nice window office and it's a reflective mirror on the outside. So I cannot tell you how many times I'm doing therapy and somebody is outside and there's a variety of businesses in the building that my office is located And they look over here at the window and they're usually on the phone. And so they're going to come over here and they're going to kind of check their hair or, I mean, and I, I literally watch people pick their nose or pick other areas of their body and not aware that I'm in here just looking right at them. I've got somebody in my couch that, uh, that is facing me and it is all I can do at times to kind of just stay present and stay focused and not look at the person that is behind me or behind my clients, uh, right outside the window. And I have to tell you, so this will will break no confidentiality because this was one of the greatest moments that I had with this with this office. Um, there is a client I've been seeing regularly for a long time and a wonderful client. I will say no more than that. But this client is very aware of this window. And so this client loves to walk up in front of that window and uh, knows that I'll be in session and knows that this person is about to come into session and knows that I'll be watching for this person. And so there was a day, it was a couple of years ago that I'm sitting here and I know, I know this client's coming in the next hour. So I'm already kind of on high alert because this client is typically pretty early. And so I'm, I'm just paying attention. I'm a little bit hypervigilant. I promise you, I was being very present with my client that is in front of me. But so all of a sudden I see uh, coming across in front of this window is the FedEx delivery man is, has my client on a dolly and is wheeling my client by the window. And that that was the hardest moment I think I've ever had to just stay focused and stay present and uh, tuned in to the client that was in front of me on the couch. But it's kind of neat to be here in the day. So I'm watching people walk back and forth right now. Um, you know, and speaking of my five years at German, in my former career in computer software, I traveled to Germany a couple of times a year for several years. And every time I would try my best to speak German, but I would only find that the Germans typically spoke almost perfect English back to me. And so whenever that they would converse with me in German, um, I would try and it was almost like they were humoring me. And, and essentially, I felt like all they wanted to do was correct my verb conjugation. So uh, a little bit scarred from trying to use any foreign language skills. Um, but there was one time that I got in a cab on the way back to the airport. And this was long before Uber, kids turn in, uh, tuning in. And the cab driver didn't speak a lick of English. And so I threw out my classic, uh, you know, Guten Morgen, ich spreche ein bisschen Deutsch. Um, or Good Morning, I speak a little German. And then she came back at me just full throttle. And I didn't have a clue what she was saying. And it turns out that she didn't speak any English. And uh, But thankfully we made it to the airport. And I think I was a terminal or two off from probably where I needed to be. But I was not up for a game of charades to get me to the United counter. So I walked. Um, so today, and I, I think I'm starting to say this with everyone, I mean, I can't imagine having one of these episodes where I say, 
you know what, today's uh, not very excited about it. You know, this one's going to be a dud. I don't think I'll ever say that, obviously, because uh, the whole reason I'm bringing you an episode is because it's something that I think can help, um, something that I, I work with uh, on a daily basis. So today we're going to talk about habits and more specifically, how long does it take to create new habits? And the reason I decided to do a podcast on this topic is because it's something that I feel like comes up in therapy several times a day, every single day. And there's one myth, one myth that is perpetuating the world of habit change that I sometimes feel like I am on a one-man mission to correct. Because ultimately, I believe this myth um, does far more damage than it does good. That myth, I will tell you more after a word from our sponsor. And don't leave. Uh, don't fast forward if you are like me at times and maybe fast forward through the uh, the ads. I'll make this one quick. I'm going to give you the coupon code and the website up front. Uh, so you can kind of think of it as like I'm giving you your dessert first and, and, then, and then the ad. So um, back for a fourth week, virtual couch reigning champion sponsor, Eli's Extracts. But okay, before you fast forward, um, just remember two things. One is the coupon code virtual couch, all one word. And that gets you 25% off your entire purchase at Eli's Extracts website, which is Eli's, E-L-I-S dash, E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S dot com. And Eli's Extracts makes an entire suite of all natural organic shaving cream products scented with essential oils. So please head over to Eli's Extracts website. Again, that's E-L-I-S dash, don't forget the dash, E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S dot com. For more information on the products, and then you can also head over to Amazon.com and just for fun, read the reviews of the products. Um, last time I checked, I think they were all still five-star and commenting, especially on the wonderful scents of Eli's all-natural shaving creams. Okay, so uh, I have to also say, when I just mentioned that I was going to give you the dessert first, um, that reminds me of a little bit of a story. And uh, and I have tried to turn this story into a life lesson, so maybe I'll, I'll do that. Um, but in, in all reality, it's kind of just fun to tell a story. So the title of the story, aka Life Lesson, is Get the Fudge First. So this story starts with me, again, back in my computer software days, on a trip down to Southern California. And I think I confessed in one of my other stories, the one where I was locked out of my hotel room in my underwear, that uh, I was pretty big on this site, Hotwire. Um, I also used to do Priceline, when you could get hotels really cheap. But Hotwire, you can still get a great deal on a room, but you have no idea where it's going to be. You kind of just have a vicinity um, of where your room's going to be. So I get this sweet deal on a room down in Southern California, and I head down there. And I realize as I'm, as I'm following, now I think this was one of those big old boxy GPS devices back in the day, I'm kind of getting closer and closer to Disneyland. So as a matter of fact, when I see how much further I have to go, I realize, okay, I am going to be really, really close to Disneyland. And I have to tell you, um, this is again, if I had some nice post-production, I might cue a little bit of sad music. But I didn't, I didn't go to Disneyland as a kid, but then when I got married, my wife is, is kind of a Disney fanatic. So we went a few times, a few, a couple of times before we had kids, and then once we had kids, it was off to the races, Disneyland all the time. So I was kind of getting excited to go to, you know, to see Disneyland, and sure enough, I exit on the, I think it's Harbor Boulevard or Catella, one of those in Southern California, and I'm not just close to Disneyland, I'm literally across the street from Disneyland. Now again, I'm there on business. But I get in there about 5 or 6 o'clock in the afternoon, and there's the park. It's a summer day, uh, kind of a warm summer day. I know the sun's going to be out for a while, and there's Disneyland. But I, I can't justify buying a ticket just to go for a couple of hours. So I think I may have called my wife, and, uh, and she mentioned that, oh, it's too bad you can't go over there to California Adventure and get this fudge. She loves this fudge. 
And and then I think that I don't remember if she kicked around the idea or if we had, she had mentioned that she had heard about um, there used to be a one hour shoppers pass. So I think, OK, I'm going to go check it out. So I go across the street. I walk over to the gate at California Adventure and I go up to the ticket counter and I tell them. And as a matter of fact, I think I was probably trying to, you know, maybe the story is that I was trying to sweet talk my way in because I've had a fair amount of success in that in uh, some different scenarios. So they tell me that you can do a one hour shopper pass. So they, they, they send me over to guest services and I can leave my credit card there. And then it's like the clock starts. I've got one hour. I can walk in. I can do a little bit of shopping. I can get my fudge. And I can come back out of the park, and then I get my credit card back. My wife is happy. I've experienced Disneyland or California Adventure, and, uh, and I will sleep well that night. So I do all that. I get in the park. I start walking over to the, I don't know, probably Mickey's Confectionery or something like that. And then it kind of hits me. It was almost like the, this aha moment where I thought, man, I've got 57 minutes. It's daylight. I'm in decent shape. I'm a runner. Um, it's go time. So I take off at a dead sprint. And I go running over to California Screaming, which is their amazing roller coaster that just shoots you out a million miles an hour, a couple of loops. And I mean, I am sprinting. And, and, I, and I run all the way through the park. And I got to admit, I was kind of still in, I think, business casual attire. And I make it all the way to the California Screaming line. And I don't know, this is one of those problems. If, you've, if you're not bald, um, you maybe won't get this. but And maybe you've seen this if you have a bald uh, uncle or father or grandfather. But as soon as I stop, you know, and, and the best part was I'm going in the single person line. So I sprint, sprint to California Scream and I get to the single rider line and then I stop. And at that point, it just hits me. And all of a sudden, the, the sweat starts pouring off of me and my bald head like nobody's business. And I remember I ran up behind this group of teenage girls and they were going to outsmart the line by all going single rider. And so I just come right up on them and then I'm just huffing and puffing. I probably look um, probably got my red cheeks and kind of pale at that point. And then the sweat just starts pouring down. So I got to just look like a mess, kind of frightened. And I think I'm just going to, hey, hey, ladies. And uh, But I know I had to freak them out. And they just kind of turn back and don't look at me. But so I go on my ride and it was amazing. And I just thought, man, I just pulled off the greatest thing in the world. And I look down at my watch and I've still got like 40 something minutes. So then I think, okay, what else can I do? And I run over to this one. I don't remember what it was called, but it was like a drop zone ride where you shoot up and then you you go down and it makes your stomach feel all weird. So I sprint over there. I make it into one of those, the line short. I do it again. At this point now, I'm like, man, drop rides, Tower of Terror. So I sprint over to Tower of Terror, back to California screaming. And I think I got another, no, one or two rides in there. And at this point I realize I got less than 10 minutes and I got to be back to the front gate. So I take off on a mad dash. I'm still just, I've been sweating. I'm having a great time. And I, I start running toward the end and it's like five minutes to go and it hits me. I don't, I haven't even bought the fudge. And I'm thinking, man, I don't know what happens, but if I walk up to that counter and I don't have the fudge and they think I just pulled a fast one on them, do they double my ticket price or do they, you know, do I have to buy like a hundred bucks worth of fudge? So I dart into the, the store and I'm just, again, sweating bullets and I get the fudge, make it out to the guest services counter with about, you know, in my mind now, it's like the, the count to five, four, three, make it to the cot. And then, and then uh, say, oh, I got my fudge and I show her and I show her the receipt and as she's handing me, as the lady's handing me back the my credit card, she just says, "How many did you get in?" Oh, I was busted. But I mean, she you know she had a little smile on her face, and then I just kind of did the math, and I said, "I don't know, like seven or eight. And then I and then I feel like, okay, I'm not gonna get in trouble for it. So I say, "Was that pretty good?" And then she's like, "I think the record's about eleven or twelve. 
So I, I, just, I vowed to do it again someday. But I have since learned that, uh, first off, I think the one-hour shopper's pass was taken away, um, maybe because of people like me. Um, but, oh yeah, the life lesson. The life lesson. Do the important things in life first. So I have a routine um, in the morning. And, and I think, you know, when I speak about these Get the important things done first. I mean, you can think about that in terms of get your schooling done, kids. Go stay in school, that good stuff. Uh, get your yard work done, you know, before you're going to play on a weekend. Get your homework done before you, you know, you hang out with friends or that sort of thing. Um, but for me, I mean, I've got to have my daily routine intact. i got to tell you, the night before I go to bed, um, I lay out all my running clothes and, you know, kind of just get myself all ready and excited. Get my water bottle all ready to go uh, running, my handheld running water bottle put it in the fridge, go to bed. And then when I wake up in the morning, I always listen to, um, it's like a, a daily devotional, uh, this uh, talk by, you know, that, uh, that will kind of get me, I don't know, my, my mind right for the day. I'll, I'll, I'll do a little bit of, uh, read a little bit of scriptures, do a little bit of scripture study, kind of, uh, ponder on maybe some of the, the, the talk I've heard, the things I've read, and then I exercise and I run, go to the gym, that sort of thing. And uh, get back, make it to my office, and then I always do um, a, a like a daily uh, meditation. I personally use the app Headspace, and we'll probably talk more about that in some future episodes. But I do some mindfulness. And so once I have all those things intact, I feel like the rest of the day, I mean, I've got that with me the entire time. Got a little motivational talk, have a little scripture study, um, have some mindfulness, going to root out those negative thoughts, and uh, going to stay present. And usually I can recall something that I've learned that morning during the devotional period. And I feel like that is the equivalent of getting that fudge first. So then the rest of the day, um, I'm riding those rides. I'm all in. I'm having a good time. So so there's the life lesson. Kids, get the fudge first. Okay, so for today's topic, and I hadn't planned on making this, uh, this podcast very long today. So I want to get to this. When we last left, the number one myth that I think is, is perpetuated out there in the world of habit change is... And I hopefully you've already said it to yourself. How many days does it take to make a habit? And I just spoke at a conference again last weekend. And uh, I don't even think I had to throw it out there. I think it was kind of brought up. And, and people just chime in in unison, 21 days. And sometimes I feel so bad and kind of breaking this one down. But again, I'm on a one-man mission. Um, it's not 21 days. But I want to tell you where that 21 days came from. It, you know, it even funnier, I was speaking at a, oh, it was a, a women's event a few months back, and I was I was going to talk about emotional um, well-being, and I had a, a, a neat lady speaking in front of me um, who was talking about physical well-being, and boy, she had worked into her presentation this idea of 21 days creates a new habit. She was talking about exercise and fitness, and and uh, I could not help myself when I got up there, and I had to debunk this myth. I tried to do it lovingly. She smiled, that sort of thing, but I'll tell you why. I'll get to the point why I did that. I'm not just a party pooper or somebody who wants to throw a wet blanket on something. But I think there's a reason why it's important to understand where that comes from and uh, and how actually the 21 days to create a habit is not really very productive. Here's why. So first, uh, sit back, kids, get the popcorn. We're going on a little bit of a history lesson. So there was a plastic surgeon in the 1950s, and his name was Maxwell Maltz. And he started to notice this kind of a, a strange pattern among all of his patients. So when he would perform an operation, he found that it would take the patient about 21 days um, to get used to, like, example, seeing their new face. 
So again, as a plastic surgeon, let's uh, think a, a nose job. He said it would take about 21 days and then the client would say, or the patient would say, okay, I, that makes more sense. You know, I like that. Similarly, when a patient had an arm or a leg amputated, he noticed that they would sense that phantom limb for about 21 days before adjusting to the new situation. So these, I mean, you know, maybe you can see now where this comes from. That prompted Maltz to think about his own life and, and kind of his adjustment period to new behaviors and changes and when he's tried to make a habit. And he said, you know, I think it probably takes me about 21 days to, to form a new habit. And so he wrote about these experiences and here's the quote he said, he said, these and many other commonly observed phenomena tend to show that it requires a minimum of about 21 days for an old mental image to dissolve and a new one to gel. So then in 1960, he, he publishes that quote and a whole bunch of other thoughts in this book called Psycho-Cybernetics. And that book went on to sell about 30 million copies. So I mean, just think about that alone. 30 million copies of this book that is perpetuating this uh, Maltz's kind of his idea that uh, I think it takes about 21 days for people to get used to their nose job or not feel um, an amputation. And for him in general, he thinks that it's about 21 days for him to create a new habit. So then decades of work, um, or the decades that followed, almost every major self-help professional um, quoted this 21 days to, to make a habit or 21 days to break a habit, you know, 21 days, 21 days. And so why, um, you know, why would that be a negative thing? Well, I think it's because if you have ever tried to start a new habit and maybe not succeeded. And a lot of my clients, you know, I, I love to preach nutrition, exercise, um, sleep, uh, hydration, um, rituals of prayer and mindfulness and meditation. And so a lot of people try these things and for lack of a better word, I don't like this word that I'm about to use, but they fail. And so a lot of them will say to me, man, I've done this 21 days. It still hasn't caught. So what's wrong with me? Or obviously, you know, my mind doesn't work that way. I'm incapable of creating new habits. I'm damaged. I'm broken. And, and that's the part that just breaks my heart. So, you know, so now step back and look at that. As more people recited Maltz's story or his theory, it was like this giant game of telephone. So people, you know, started to forget that the context, you know, hey, it takes 21 days to get used to your new nose or to not feel like you've got an, an arm after an amputation. And so it kind of just got shortened to, you know, fact, 21 days to form a new habit. And so then that's how society in general starts uh, spreading this, what I, you know, I think it's a myth um, of 21 days. And so, so it makes sense. It's easy to understand where that comes from. The problem is that, you know, Maltz was just kind of observing what was going on around him. There wasn't a lot of empirical data or studies used or double blind studies or, you know, what habits or different habits uh, created and does it take longer for some and not for others and so um so so then it you know obviously i wanted to look up how long does it really take to build a new habit so there is a uh, health psychology researcher university of college uh university college of london so he published this study oh his uh philippa lally and the european journal of social psychology and lally and her research team decided to figure out how long it would actually take to form a habit and, and this was a fairly small study at first. I think it was uh, roughly about 100 people over 12 weeks. And they chose different habits. They, you know, there were various things that they were trying to create a habit. And, um, and some of them were, I, I tried to look this up, some, some chose simple habits like drinking a bottle of water with lunch. Others chose more difficult tasks like running for 15 minutes before dinner. And so after this 12-week period, 
the researchers analyzed the data to see how long it would take to create a new habit. So here we go. Again, someday I'm going to have a bigger budget for post-production. We'll get a drum roll in right here. The answer, so on average, it took a little more than two months for a new behavior to become automatic. 66 days to be, to be exact. Again, that's on average. So some of the things took less. There were a couple of the habits that only took 18 days, and then there were some that took as long as 254 days. So in other words, if you can kind of look at this you know, journey to create a new habit, it could take you anywhere from the, the good old three weeks um, up to whatever 254 days divided by seven is as far as weeks go. I think I've already confessed I'm not much of a, of a math major. So definitely not 21 days. It can take a lot longer. And, and here's, okay, there's some other good stuff in here too. So not only, you know, yes, it can take you a little bit longer, but here's what's really another part of this study that I think is a gem. Uh, researchers found out that missing an opportunity to perform the behavior did not significantly negatively affect the habit formation process. So in other words, if you mess up every now and again, it really does not matter. So building better habits is nothing um, like an all or nothing process. Building habits takes time. That's what we're learning. And if you mess up a day or two here and there, it's okay. Just just get back at it and uh, and continue to try to do the behavior, whatever that behavior is that you want to become a new habit. So again, I don't want anybody to feel you know dismayed by that. I actually want you know this to be a strength based podcast. Because maybe you've tried the 21 days and you've been pretty good about it. Or maybe after 16 or 17 days, you you didn't do whatever this new behavior was and you felt like, man, I, I, I ruined the whole thing. But, but you didn't. So you don't have to hit the reset if you mess up. But also don't be discouraged after 21 days. Matter of fact, in, the, uh, you know, in my ultra running world, we kind of joke about you got to get a fair amount of what we call base miles in before your body's going to kind of stop complaining to you and just kind of settle in and say, okay, all right, this is what this guy does. He runs. So might as well stop complaining. You know, uh, this is what he's going to do. So I feel like sometimes even up to two, three, four weeks of some new habit, um, your body's maybe kind of saying, I don't know if I want to do this. So that's, that's the part to continue to even push through even more. So no reason to get down on yourself because it might take more than 21 days. No reason at all. Um, second, you do not have to be perfect. Making a mistake once or twice or that sort of thing really has no lasting negative effect on your long-term habits. But you know, number three, um, I think that embracing these longer timelines can actually help us realize that the habit is um, it's more of a process, more of a journey, as we say in my business, and, uh, and know that it's going to be something that you are going to have to really um, commit to for the long haul. And then that's what we that's when we see that habits become something that is just ingrained in us. So and, and on that note too, while I kind of have you here and we're talking about habits, there's another fun fact. There's a book called The Power of Habit by an author named Charles Duhigg. And I absolutely love this book. And it's one that I try to listen to from time to time. But he talked about um, habits and and how you create them and and what happens with habits. And even at the beginning of the book, there is some fascinating research, uh, or actually more of kind of some anecdotal studies that uh, are stories that Duhigg reports on, where people that have had some extensive brain damage who couldn't even recall what city they lived in, um, and their short-term memory was just shot, but the things that had become habits to them were still there, whether it was tie-in shoes or they could drive to work, but yet they they might have to you know be reminded of how to make um, toast in a toaster oven on a daily basis, and that's because 
when something becomes a habit, then it moves into this little walnut-sized um, piece in the brain called the basal ganglia. And I just think this part is so fascinating. So when something becomes a habit, let's take this one. I think he gave this one in the book. But when you are learning how to back out of a driveway in your car, um, when you're 16, oh boy, especially if it's a stick shift, right? Um, what a what a stress-filled, anxiety-laden exercise. You're going to back down the driveway. You maybe got the pitch of the driveway and you're looking over your shoulder. And if you get your mom or dad in there, you're kind of freaking out too because they're going to inevitably tell you that you hit the brakes too hard or, or slow down or, or something like that. Let off the brake. And so you're, you're trying to figure all this out and look for traffic. And, but, you know, think about it today or tomorrow when you leave for work. Um, if you're backing out of the driveway, you don't even think about that anymore. And that's because even that little sequence gets filed away into your basal ganglia. Now it is sitting there in the habit center. So your brain does not have to think about that anymore. And I just think that is just so fascinating the way the brain works. I mean, basically, and I think we covered this on one of the other episodes, the brain is kind of doing its best to, as the kids say these days, chill. I mean, the brain kind of feels like, hey, the more I can chill, the longer I am going to be around um, on this planet to be able to, you know, binge watch Netflix shows and process the wonderful... Um, tastes of Oreos and ice cream. So it's trying to take these, anything it can, and just throw it into that habit center. Furthermore, I think the in Duhigg's book, he talked about, back to this basal ganglia, some of the animals around us, I mean, their brain is a basal ganglia. I think he mentioned a fish. So a fish is just instinctual. Their little brain is nothing but a basal ganglia. They're just trying to, you know, kind of reproduce, go to the bathroom, and avoid getting caught, and I guess eat as well. But there's not a whole lot else going on there. So their brain is just reactionary. It's just this basal ganglia. But so learning and keeping habits occur in this basal ganglia um, because that's the part of the brain that can it can operate routinely even when the remainder of your brain is injured, which is just, it is fascinating about the brain. So we'll talk more about the brain. I want to maybe do uh, another couple of episodes on the brain and we can kind of circle back around to habits but I just I, I hope that uh, that today's episode maybe gave you a little bit more hope, and that as you try to create these new habits, that it's okay if it takes a little bit longer than you anticipated. And please do me a favor. Um, the downloads for my podcast are growing, which I am so grateful for. And uh, so the reason I'm saying that is, help me be more than just a one man, twenty one day takes you know takes twenty one days to build a habit destroying. Uh, mission, you know, become part of the army uh, whenever you can, whenever you hear that 21 days to make a habit. Um, go look up this info, uh, refer somebody to this podcast, and not as a way to just sound snooty, although if you kind of enjoy that, feel free, um, but more of just a way to help give people hope that that if they are going to try to start some new habit, that they know that it's going to take them a little longer than the 21 days. And again, um, that's, that is a, a big part of this. Number two is that if they mess up or if you mess up, um, a time or two, no big deal. Just uh, the old cliche, get back on the horse. And then, uh, and then you know, that alone, um, I hope will give you the hope to kind of stick in there and remember that it's a long-term process. It's something that will take time. But when it comes to breaking some, some really bad habits or creating some really, really positive habits, it is worth it. And uh, that's some things that we're going to talk more about. I've gotten a couple of questions about why haven't I talked more yet about pornography and compulsive sexual behavior. And, and I'm going to get to that, but I want to make sure that, uh, that when we do that, I want to go into a lot of these things about 
um, how the brain works, what it does with addiction and, and habits. And so um, I like to think of this as a little bit of a primer. So thank you so much for joining me today. Please continue to email me at contact at pathbackrecovery.com with any of your questions. Um, I really appreciate the feedback from last week's guest, Tina Fuller, um, and her book, uh, It's My Turn. The, the conversations that I've had in the last week about, about narcissism, about personality disorders have just been um, amazing. They really have. And so I'm grateful for Tina and, and her coming on. I do have a couple of other interviews that are coming up. And I'm also aware that I hope that you can bear with me while I try to, to figure out this whole audio um, piece. I know that the, the recording with Tina was a little bit spotty at times. And, uh, but, but I'm going to be able to dial that in. But I'm just grateful for the feedback. If you can please share information, share this podcast. If you can please go to iTunes and subscribe, rate, leave a nice review. That helps more people find out about the podcast. And again, contact me at contact at pathbackrecovery.com and uh, go out there and, and, I don't know, start some new habit. It's going to take you a little bit longer than you anticipated, but it will be worth it. So thanks again for joining me today on the virtual couch and taking us away, as per usual, Aurora Florence and It's Wonderful. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind It's wonderful Elastic waste and rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter most It's Heal the legs and hearts you broke the pain.